the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy this sin, not join them. Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. Anakin Skywalker, who is prophesied to bring balance to the force, instead turns to the dark side. We have the high ground as we discuss the one time the Emperor was surprised, the line you can't cross to save a marriage, and why liking the prequels is like being a Mets fan. Execute Order 66, then find out if Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and who are you? I'm James Brief, and this is episode three. Attack of the Revenge of the Clones of the Sith Phantom Menace. I think you just combined a lot of words that don't make sense when you say them as you did. Well, it's Revenge of the Sith. There you go. And it's not the first time that a Star Wars film had the word revenge in it. Isn't that correct, though? Well, Return of the Jedi was going to be called Revenge of the Jedi until George Lucas wisely and correctly decided that Jedi don't seek revenge. But yeah, this movie's title is a nod to that, you know, leaked poster. There was some art that said Revenge of the Jedi and those posters if you can get a real actual original those are worth a lot of money i have a reprint downstairs that is not worth a lot of money i'll give you ten thousand dollars for it sold can i see the cash um i didn't say ten thousand american dollars what currency um you know those zimbabwe dollars that are like ten billion dollars it's like a dollar uh no okay well, well i'll give you ten billion of those so you'll give me one american dollar um, yeah, I'll give you American dollar for that poster. No, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I like it. It looks pretty cool. But we've been talking about the prequels because of the Obi-Wan Kenobi limited series that is dropping the same day as this podcast episode, May 27th. I am really, really, really excited to watch that show. How about you, James? Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, I- I've mentioned this before. Mandalorian has gotten in my good grace. It- it's definitely good. Uh, but the sequel trilogy has really cooled me to Star Wars. I have not been excited about anything for Star Wars in years. Episode 7 I was excited for. The next trilogy just really, really pissed me off. And uh, Mandalorian, I liked the first two seasons. I'll watch season 3. I'm not like, oh my god, when is it coming out? And I'll catch Boba Fett eventually. I'll watch Obi-Wan. I'm looking forward to it. I think Ewan McGregor was one of the best parts of the prequel trilogy, which um, you know we've been reviewing the last couple of weeks. Again, I'm not saying this is permanent, but right now, when all is said and done, the early 2020s and late 20-teens have been a cooling-off period for me for Star Wars. It might come back, but it's been a cooling-off period. I mean, I understand that to a point because I think that 
the great thing about Star Wars in the Disney era has been the TV shows. The Mandalorian was so good. I really, really enjoyed both seasons. The Book of Boba Fett is really, really good. You gotta watch that, man. And the fact that they are bringing back Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor, as this beloved character who's maybe, maybe just one of the coolest characters in the entire Star Wars saga. Like, yeah, I'm hyped about this. I think this is going to be really, really good. Originally, the plan was for it to be a movie. And then after Solo bombed, all of the spinoff movies were scrapped. And then they reworked it to be a, a TV show. And then the first batch of scripts weren't good enough. And so they reworked it again. I really think that there is a lot of pressure on the show and they know it and they really had a lot of time to get it right. And I just have nothing but faith that it's going to be great. I could be wrong. It could suck. I would be extremely disappointed, but I have very, very high hopes and I really can't wait to start watching this show. You know, I hope it's good. The only problem with this film is that, you know, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago with episode one. This prequel trilogy definitely deserves to be made because there were a lot of questions about uh, where did the Empire come from? What is this Clone Wars thing that they referred to? Obi-Wan knew uh, the Anakin Skywalker. Like, what is this whole thing? So we want to see that. But are there a lot of questions that aren't answered? I know uh, Hayden Christensen comes back, but um, I was fine with the last time they ever meet was on Mustafar, and then maybe they never see each other again until that hangar with uh, Luke. It's almost like theirs to mess up. Just make a cute little enclosed story about Obi-Wan Kenobi. It can't really affect major storylines that we don't know about. Maybe Ahsoka, she can have a little cameo here and there. It's possible. Maybe Yoda makes an appearance or other little friends we've had. But um, the one thing I'm not so excited is like it doesn't really need to be made. That's true. That's a valid point. But they're making it, and I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, early Obi-Wan, what were his uh, Qui-Gon years like? That's exciting. I don't know what that is. You know, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have always been kind of not the typical Jedi Council guys. That's interesting. But we'll have to see what this is. I will be interested to see how did Obi-Wan learn um, to become a Force ghost. That's implied at the end of Episode 3 that he's going to now learn how to do that. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Qui-Gon has a cameo in this series. He, he could as a Force ghost. He could. I mean, Liam Neeson was always open to doing more Qui-Gon. He did come back for the Clone Wars and do the voice of Qui-Gon Jinn, I think once or maybe twice in that series. He didn't have to do that for the animated show, but he did. That's cool. And, you know, this film, if you don't remember episode three, this is the movie where Palpatine's plan all comes together. Anakin murders Count Dooku, but he grows increasingly cynical of the Jedi. He then has premonitions that his wife Padme is going to die during childbirth, and Chancellor Palpatine offers him a solution. Turn to the dark side of the Force and save your wife and child. Obi-Wan destroys General Grievous, then Palpatine has the clones execute the Jedi Generals. Anakin, now known as Darth Vader, kills younglings and even strangles Padme in anger. Obi-Wan and Vader battle over lava on the planet Mustafar, and Vader's left barely alive. 
Padme delivers her twins, Luke and Leia, before she ultimately dies. The Republic is reorganized into the First Galactic Empire, and the Sith have their revenge. Bummer, man. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. Again, I'm not going to ask you if this movie was a big hit when it came out in 2005. I remember that it was because this was billed as the last Star Wars movie ever. George Lucas made it very clear that this wrapped up his story. He was not going to make any more. And even though people knew the broad strokes of how it was going to end... People wanted to see this movie. Right, and there was the uh, rumor that this is going to be the retirement of George Lucas, even the retirement of John Williams, which it wasn't. And people were excited to see this. It opened uh, bigger than uh, episode two. It opened on May 19th, 2005. It opened with $110 million over its opening weekend. That was bigger than uh, Attack of the Clones, $80 million. And it uh, made $153 million, including the Thursday night showing. And, you know, this is a film from 2005, and you and I, we have not explored too many films from this year. And just looking at the top 10, there's a lot of films that we're going to explore here. Um, It kicked Monster-in-Law down to number two. That might be a a romantic comedy we might do at one point. But also other films, um, Crash, uh, Kingdom Mm -hmm. of Heaven. Have you ever seen Kingdom of Heaven? I don't think so. Um, Have you ever seen Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell? No, that's a soccer movie, right? Yep, soccer film. Triple X 2, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right, which we're going to do with our friend Matt from Movies at the Mat. Mm -hmm. Sahara, that's a film with uh, Penelope Cruz and Matthew McConaughey. That's a Dirk Pitt novel. You ever read any of those? Clive Cussler? No. I mean, there was like 50 of those novels. And this was a would-be beginning of a huge franchise that really didn't go anywhere. Interesting. You know, as we were talking about the prequels, we were talking about seeing the trailers for these movies. And I definitely do remember for episode three, I went to see The Incredibles because the trailer for episode three was playing with it. And I very much enjoyed The Incredibles and uh, I, I had a good time. I remember Courtney and I saw it in the city, loved it. But the main reason I wanted to go to see it was because of the episode three trailer. The second trailer was with that movie Robots, that like animated movie that wasn't a Disney Pixar movie. It was like the other company. And it wasn't DreamWorks. Right, 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 right. And that was the one where I went to the theater and I paid for the ticket, watched the episode three trailer, then said, oh, I'm sorry, I have to leave. Can I get my money back? I wasn't going to stay and watch Robots. I think I did that during the middle of the workday, which is probably unethical. But whatever, I really needed to see this trailer. And I was only gone from the office for like 15 minutes. I remember when Robots came out, that's when like the Simpsons and Family Guy, they started picking up on the fact that there's like anything's going to be CGI, a a deck of cards. Now they're all animated cards now. Yeah, I guess robots. Sure, why not? But I think Pixar has proven that you can do that with anything if you tell a good story. There were a lot of really, really crappy uh, uh, films that came out that were basically just a bunch of like pop culture references. Yeah, there there was 0% chance that I was going to see robots. And the fact that Robots had the the second trailer for episode three didn't boost its numbers, didn't make that movie a hit 
That's true. That's true. You know, this film is the last of the prequel trilogy, but something we talked about last week is it still manages to totally introduce a few characters here. The Clone Wars, as we know it now, that seven-season, really well-received animated series that kind of fills in the holes between episode two and three, it was not released when this film had come out. Right. So there's a lot of holes here. And if there was one thing that people were expecting in the prequel trilogy, it was the Clone Wars. And we got to see a little bit at the end of Attack of the Clones, which was not a Clone Wars film, even though it was called Attack of the Clones. And the first opening crawl text of episode three, which I think has the best opening crawl of the whole prequel trilogy, they get better and better. It starts war! Exclamation point. What a great opening crawl. But it literally ends the Clone War. We get a fantastic pew, pew, pew space scene. But, you know, if you were hoping to see the Clone Wars in the prequel trilogy, it honestly happens between episodes two and three, and you miss the entire thing. And had we known from the beginning, like they kind of do now, like Disney announces, oh, well, there will be a seven-season series of, of this will take place between these two films, and I'll bet you this will happen with the next trilogy of movies they announce. They're going to announce the trilogy of movies with the companion series that will come along with them. To me, I remember being a little disappointing that we did not get to see the actual Clone Wars in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. I hear that. I don't think it really bothered me because you see the beginning of the Clone Wars in Episode 2, the first battle, and then you see the last battles in this movie. So I felt like it was fine. Also, like you kind of were like, oh yeah, you see the pew-pew laser battle in the beginning of Episode 3. This movie starts with an epic battle and that first shot goes on so long it's really really cool i was saying you do get a pew pew star wars battle that's what i was saying i agree with you it is an epic star wars pew pew battle i'm just saying we didn't get the war i didn't see the whole uh companion series in fairness, it probably is better as a series rather than trying to cram it in, unless The Clone Wars was the entire trilogy. Then it could have worked, but it's perhaps more fitting that they slowly did The Clone Wars over the course of, what was it, 150 episodes or something? Or something like that. Something like that. I would recommend The Clone Wars. I think it is a good series. I think that it does sort of show you why you don't see all of this stuff in the movies because it does get repetitive you know like there's only so many times you can see obi-wan kenobi like slash battle droids down they fight this battle and they win this battle and then they lose that battle and then there's a draw at this battle and then they encounter a grievous and then this happens with dooku and it's somewhat cyclical and there's really great episodes and there's really great stories and they introduce amazing characters and there's great stuff in there what I'm going to do one day, I'm probably, not probably, I may or may not watch the whole series, but what I might do is there are guides online of like, you don't have to watch all 150 episodes, here's the 12 episodes in every season to watch, not all 20 to watch. Like, you don't really need these five episodes, they're kind of bottleneck ones, uh, you know, bottle or bottle episodes, rather. If I'm not mistaken, I believe this series is the introduction of Dave Filoni, right? 
I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's sort of become like the the steward and things that they've introduced in Clone Wars have bled into the live action stuff and will continue to be in Obi-Wan Kenobi and in forthcoming Disney Plus series like Ahsoka. So, you know, they are really pushing for continuity. The things that happen in the TV shows are in the same universe. It's not like lesser canonically, like it happened. Right, and the Clone Wars series is not all about the Skywalkers and the main characters, and you really don't want to have that in the main Star Wars films. You know, maybe that's how Jar Jar could have worked. If there was a companion series that kind of showed, hey, this is Jar Jar, and this is his life, and this is how Jar Jar's day goes day to day, and how he got kicked (laughs) out of the Gungans. You know, that might be a fun story. There are some good Jar Jar episodes of the Clone Wars. There's some very good Padme episodes, and this Ahsoka episodes and episodes around characters you've never heard of that are really good. And did you ever hear what happened, what uh, Jar Jar's fate is in the Star Wars universe? It's actually very sad. Yes, yes. In one of the aftermath books, they say that he's basically like a, a street performer. Yes, yeah, someone like bumps into him and he's now like basically performing for food on some Coruscant type, uh, you know, street corner. Yeah, yeah, I did read that. I actually started reading the first Aftermath book. I, I couldn't get through it. It was really poorly written. It was just like not interesting at all. And from me, who loves all things Star Wars, that's a criticism. I mean, like, it was bad. Maybe someday I'll go back to it. I have the first book downstairs, but I, I just couldn't get into that. It's not canon, but just read the Timothy Zahn novels again. They're so good. Even the Kevin J. Anderson, uh, the Jedi Academy ones, those are fun too. Like then they just got so diluted. Yeah, I've heard good things about the new comics that they've been doing, but I haven't read those either. But let's talk about General Grievous. My nephew, he was only into Star Wars for a very brief period. And a very a brief period. Brief yes, yes. period. But when he was in it, into it, he was into it hard. And he was like four at the time, so I couldn't watch this movie without like chuckling. And I kept calling it General Grievous because that's how he would say General Grievous. Oh, General Grievous is a very interesting character that like begs to learn his backstory and it's frustrating you don't get it he's this darth vader sounding bad guy who yields four lightsabers and i remember at the time thinking yeah the double lightsaber how are they going to top it oh what four lightsabers and i was a little disappointed that this guy is awesome but i have no idea who he is and he dies in the first 10 minutes not 10 minutes what like 20 minutes no 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 I mean, he's on screen for only like a handful of minutes in this movie, but he makes it to, I think, the second act. But I get what you're saying. And honestly, when you watch The Clone Wars, it does a little bit sort of dilute some of the things that happen in this movie. Because with Grievous and Count Dooku, they fight these guys a lot. They always get away. Because, of course, Grievous and Count Dooku have to live to get to episode three, But then, like, the fact that Obi-Wan kind of dispatches Grievous 
fairly easily in this movie. With a pistol, with a blaster? That's lame. I thought that's funny because then he, he shoots him and says, how uncivilized? Because that's what he says in the original trilogy, that blasters are uncivilized. Yeah, I know. Lightsabers from a more civilized time, right? Right. That didn't bother me. He was improvising. He did what he had to do and it works. That's fine. Even like the way that Anakin kills Count Dooku in the beginning of the movie, like it's really, really, really hard to kill Count Dooku in the Clone Wars TV series. And then Anakin's able to do it pretty quickly in the beginning of this movie. This is another one of these things I mentioned last week. I just chalk all of this up to Palpatine. I think Palpatine like weakens him. Anything that happens, I just go... Yeah, Palpatine did it. I think he even tricked Dooku into thinking that this was going to be a trap to, like, get Anakin on our side. When Anakin has him trapped between two lightsabers around his neck, when the Emperor says, um, kill him, Dooku gives this look like, this isn't what we planned. Like, he definitely is surprised that he dies. Yes, I think so. And honestly, this will sound extraordinarily nerdy, and I don't care, but... After watching the prequels, I remember thinking Palpatine planned everything, like you just said. What didn't he plan? What was like the only thing that he was surprised about? Like, is it just at like the very end of Return of the Jedi when Luke is like, nope, I'm not going to join you? Was that the only time Palpatine was surprised or not really? Was the only time he's surprised when Vader picks him up and throws him down that shaft or was he not surprised by that was he expecting that that he figured at some point his reign would have to come to an end like i wonder like when was he ever caught off guard um i think that episode one and two did not go the way he planned i didn't think he expected darth maul to die he had backup plans for all this stuff and he planted seeds just in case they didn't work but not everything went along to plan and i think most of it is obi-wan kenobi and anakin skywalker getting in the way you know, a little Yoda, too. And I think you might be right, because except for episode six, when Luke says no, every single person that we have evidence of has taken the bait. Dooku took the bait to get more power. Darth Maul took the bait to get to Palpatine. Palpatine just uses people. He doesn't care. He shows no loyalty. I love the Darth Plagueis story. It's insinuated that this is his story, that he killed his own master. He has absolutely no loyalty to anyone. Darth Vader takes the bait and will use his power until he gets someone younger again. And then Luke, he's just the next one in line to take the bait, and he actually says no. I think that shocks him. When he says, I will never turn to you. I'm a Jedi like my father was before me. And I think you might be right. That might be the only time he's genuinely surprised. Maybe. It's a thing that I think about, which is lame. But he is a very intriguing character. And everything that he plans does have a purpose. And yeah, the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise is really, really interesting. And he basically admits to... The fact that, yeah, he killed his master. He says it very matter-of-factly. Like, he knew he was going to get killed, and I killed him. He killed him in his sleep. Whatever. He very, very strongly hints and basically admits to creating Anakin with the midichlorians, using uh, immaculate conception sort of a thing to create Anakin, which does mean that he's been planning all of this stuff for a very long time to, you know— 
have the foresight to create a life form on Tatooine and make him be the chosen one. But one of the things that people have criticized about this movie is the way that Palpatine turns Anakin to the dark side, basically by saying it's the only way you can save Padme. And we were talking about this a little bit last week about how it does logically flow. Everything that happens in one and two sort of leads to this where Anakin is going to believe that he can save his wife from dying in childbirth because Palpatine tells him that. And that's his ultimate goal is to stop people he loves from dying. And that's something that's, I guess, relatable. No one wants the people they love to die. But what lengths would you go to to actually do that? I don't know. I think when I first saw the movie, I felt like his turn to the dark side was a little bit like, hmm, I get it, but he was such a good guy. It could have been stronger. I like that his turn has to do with his desire to to do good. He wants to help Padme, and he's almost going to do anything to help her. I, I, I kind of think this is believable, but... I would have liked him to, maybe even in episode one, like, there's something about this woman, like, he thinks she's going to die, and he has this fear she's going to die, he always has this fear, when Yoda says, I sense much fear in you, I don't sense it at all in this sweet little kid, and I would have liked him to have feared things, maybe he fears his mother's going to die, maybe he fears then Padme's going to die, everyone he loves always dies, and maybe it's uh, Palpatine that's doing it all in the background, I agree with you that it's not done well. I am okay with the fact, actually, I like the fact that it's all about Padme that turns him evil. And it's his love for her that turns him evil. I just think it kind of just falls in episode three. Again, my big praise of this trilogy over the sequel trilogy is that it's planned, but it's not perfectly planned. And I wish it was planned a little bit better. That's fair. I think that is a very, very valid point. I also think that in the world that we live in, After having watched the end of Game of Thrones, spoiler alert for anyone who has not seen the final season of Game of Thrones, but the turn from good to evil of Daenerys Targaryen felt so poorly executed to me, in my humble opinion, and I know I'm not the only person who thinks this, by contrast, Anakin's turn to the dark side is brilliantly executed. It's not, though. It does have its flaws. Uh, And we've mentioned this over the last two weeks, that I wish the seeds of evil were planted a little earlier. And uh, they're not. The Tusken Raiders, it's good, not enough, because he seems to have been justified at least in killing a number of those raiders. But then the women and the children, no. Yeah, I wish there was something a little bit more. And there's just something missing. And I think that the only thing missing was that it should have been a little more more slow over the three uh, movies. That's fair. I was saying that I watched these movies with my daughter and we were talking about them the other night with Courtney. And, you know, we were saying like, well... Anakin turns to the dark side because he wants to do anything to protect his wife and he loves his wife and isn't that so sweet and Courtney's like yeah it's nice that you want to do anything to protect your wife but also uh Anakin turns into Darth Vader and kills kids and that's like a pretty clear line that you don't cross you want to do anything to save your wife yeah of course even murder a whole bunch of kids well wait a second hold on like once you cross that line 
you don't come back from that. I've never been married. Is that the line, Al? I'm not saying that's the only line, but I'm <laughs> saying that if you cross that line, you've definitely crossed a substantial line. And I do remember in the movie theater watching this movie for the first time when that adorable little Jedi youngling says, Master Skywalker, there's too many of them. What can we do? And then Anakin turns on his lightsaber and the boy just kind of like jumps back a little bit with like pure fear in his face. It's like, whoa. That is a wonderful uh, little jump. And I've seen pictures of Anakin and that boy at uh, Comic-Cons and like Star Wars celebrations. Yeah, that actor. And that's, that's really fun. But there is a line of deleted dialogue. This is a line that Obi-Wan says to Padme. And I'm not sure if it was ever filmed, but it's a famous piece of dialogue. Padme, she, she knows she's pregnant, and Anakin knows she's pregnant. But of course, the Jedi, they don't allow uh, you know, marriage and, and taking children. So this is all in secret. And then there's a part at the very end where Obi-Wan realizes that uh, Anakin has turned to the dark side. There's no turning back now. And he turns to Padme, and he says this to her. I'm not blind, Padme, though I have tried to be for Anakin's sake. And for yours, Anakin has loved you since the day you met in that horrible junk shop on Tatooine. He's never even tried to hide it, though we do not speak of it. We pretend that I don't know. And I was happy to, because it made him happy. You made him happy, when nothing else ever truly could. That's such a wonderful line of like, look, I know you guys are in love. I just haven't said anything because I love him and I love you. Me and Qui-Gon, we don't care about the Jedi Council rules. We just want this kid to thrive. And it breaks his heart that he can't help him. That would have been a good line to add. Yeah, and I think that some of the lines between Obi-Wan and Anakin in their big climactic battle aren't all the best when obi-wan says i loved you you were like a brother like okay that's great but like my allegiance is to democracy and it's like oh okay come on i always thought that line was a little weird like i get it it's to democracy but it was more like for Good, I I thought you would say. Right, right, right. It's not like the Jedi really love representative democracy. It's like, no, they believe in life and goodness and protecting the innocent and stuff like that. It's a little bit bigger than just, you know, democracy. Right. And one of these lines that's supposedly attributed to Winston Churchill, although a lot of Churchill lines really weren't said by Churchill, apparently. But one of his famous lines was, democracy is the worst form of government there is, except for all the others. And basically, he's saying that we're learning today, democracy is really not that good a form of government. If All it takes is 51% of people, or rather 51% of the voting uh, populace to say something is legal or illegal. There it is. Like, I'd almost hope in in another galaxy that's so enlightened, maybe they thought of something even better. I've always thought that line stood out to me to be weird. I get what he means. He's supporting the old... Republic that was seemingly by the people for the people of the people, and now it's been replaced by an empire. And like, look, Anakin, like, this is not what we're about. But it's a weird thing for the Jedi to say, we are like the servants of 
the government. Right. And then ties back into the conversation between Anakin and Padme in episode two, when he's kind of saying, well, the perfect solution should be the people get together and solve the problem. Well, yeah, idiot, that's democracy. But the problem is sometimes people don't agree. Well, then someone should make them agree. Oh, well, that's a dictatorship. Oh, well, yeah, maybe if that works. And like now that's what Anakin is going to. There is some of like the political machinations in this movie that don't really work about like the Jedi and the Senate and the Chancellor. And they're saying that they don't trust the Chancellor. And so they're having Anakin spy on the Chancellor because they know that there's a Sith Lord that controls the Senate, but they don't seem to really suspect that it is Palpatine, but they want Anakin to spy on Palpatine because they don't trust him, but they're still shocked when they find out that he is the Sith Lord. So do you suspect him or don't you? That's kind of like binary. It's either yes or no. And then their whole thing is that as soon as the Clone War is over, Palpatine needs to lay down his emergency powers. And then the second that they get word that Obi-Wan has killed Grievous, they're like, okay, well, now we're going to Palpatine to make sure he lays down his powers. Like, okay, give it a minute. If it's like a week later and he still hasn't like relinquished the power, then maybe you need to like have a a meeting or a, uh, an inquiry or do something, but like going after him, like instantly, like, Hey, you better lay down that power. Also, like, what does that mean? How does he relinquish that power and what capacity? So the fact that none of them could figure out what was going on is great. And again, it was all Palpatine. He's suppressing everyone. He's even more powerful than Yoda in this particular area. He was able to fool Yoda. But there's a deleted scene where it almost seems like Yoda and Mace Windu, they've kind of, they're like, I think it's Palpatine. They're like, proof we need first us hat need you know, some Yoda line like that. Yeah. And he's basically like, we need the proof. So that's why they're like, we'll send Anakin in to spy and get some ideas. But you're right. This is cut out. So it does seem weird. Like, do you suspect him or not? And by the way, the, all these deleted scenes on Disney plus, all you have to do is when you watch the film, there's a little tab that says extras. And usually you dismiss it as like, oh, the trailer, but it's all these scenes just bam, bam, bam. And there's like 20 of them in each of these movies. Wow. Um, there is also like the fact that this movie came out during the W era, George W. Bush. And it was largely seen as a criticism of the Bush administration, uh, specifically when Padme says, so this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause. And George Lucas said, like, no, I kind of came up with this as, like, sort of a commentary more about, like, Vietnam and the Nixon era and everything. But it really kind of felt like it was a political statement. I remember that vividly. You know, back in 2005, we were just starting to see what we have today, this hyper-partisan America split down the middle. You're on one side or the other. There's very little purple. But... I really think people were really just finding things. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And I remember this happening. And I remember people being so mad on like Fox News, like, oh, this is just an anti-George Bush movie. And I'm like, maybe there's a little thing that inspired him. I just don't think George Lucas, the man with all the money in the world, is going to blow his one shot to do the epic trilogy to try to like 
one-up George W. Bush. I just didn't buy it that that's what it was for. I think it was definitely anti-democracy. And if you saw your side in the emperor, maybe that's a little, is it projection? Is that the word? But like, maybe you're just seeing a movie about a clear good guy and a clear bad guy, and you're upset that the bad guy's resembling your side. I think it might be you. It might not be George Lucas. Right. I mean, I don't think it was like his attempt to like take down the George W. Bush administration or anything like that. But I think there's a parallel and I think it's fine. Honestly, I have many criticisms about the sequel trilogy, but the fact that it was so apolitical, I thought was a little annoying. Like the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy have some political commentary and that's fine the fact that episode nine comes out during the trump presidency and there's not a subtle commentary doesn't have to be over the top you don't have to make the emperor you know talking like trump or anything like that but like there could have been something and jj abrams and disney didn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole clearly but like they could have there were not subtle Nazi references, way more Nazi references in the sequel trilogy than any of the prequel original trilogies. That's true, but they didn't tie it to like, and hey, look at how these people can spring up in your own home country. Uh, but honestly, like the the line, so this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause, I think that line is more relevant today in 2022 when people are like, yeah, we don't need elections. We just want Trump to be president. Democracy is not important. This guy says he wants to be president. Yay! Like, that's the opposite of how the system works. And I feel like that line is sadly still relevant. That being said, I actually think as much as people talk about the Senate and like, who cares about the Senate? First of all, the design of the Galactic Senate is amazing. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about it, but yeah, there's like E.T. cameos and all those things. In episode one. In yeah. episode one. But I actually think it's kind of really clever how the Emperor comes from like some kind of small little senator in some small little system. But like, you know, it's unexpected for this guy to rise and almost that's why they give it to him they're not going to give the uh governor of new york or california emergency powers but you know from a smaller state oh look at that guy he was just kind of like a farmer that became the governor like that's this guy oh i love democracy this guy uh what's his name ian mcdermott right yeah, yeah. he is a brilliant actor and kudos to george lucas who purposely cast a 30-something-year-old guy, purposely did that in episode six because he figured he was going to make a prequel trilogy one day and need this guy. I just found that out recently. Interesting. That is really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I read that Ian McDermott was surprised when he got the call to come back for the prequels because he figured that they would just have a, a younger person do it because, you know, it's a prequel. I don't think George Lucas meant to do these in 99 through 2005. My guess is that in 1984, he figured he'd be doing these things in the early 90s. Maybe. That's my guess. I just love the way that all the dominoes fall. It really is believable, the Emperor's Rise. How does this guy get to actually legitimately lead the Senate? And looking at it today, yeah, people will thunderously applaud this guy, who the other half of people may be like, 
are you fucking seeing what I'm seeing? And right. yes, now I believe it. There will be entire systems that will be like, as long as you're hurting the right people, I'm all for this guy. Yeah, exactly. And the enemy that he's rallying everyone against is the Jedi. And the battle droids that he himself orchestrated. Like, I love it. He controls both sides of this army. He controls Dooku and all of the battle droids, but he also controls the Senate with the clone army. It's it's actually quite brilliant. It is. It is. The enemies change, though. He rises to power when the enemy is a trade federation. Then he consolidates and grows his power when the enemy are the separatists. And now to like put the final nail in the coffin of democracy, the enemy becomes the Jedi. And the way that he kills the Jedi is through Order 66. You know what I like to call that order? Yes, I do. Say it to the listeners. I like to call it Al Order 66. Uh-huh. You get it? I do. Because it's the Sith. Uh-huh. I get it. Uh, but watching this movie with my daughter, she said, how come it's so easy for these guys to kill Jedi? Aren't Jedi, like, really tough? And aren't they, like, hard to kill? And I was like, you know what? That's a good point. And I think the in-universe answer is that, well... The Jedi weren't expecting that. There was no reason for them to suspect that the clones would turn on them. The clones turned on them without emotion. They just did it. And so the Jedi were caught off guard. And that was very much by design of how Order 66 was created. And yeah, okay, that explanation works for me. But I do think it is a fair question for an eight-year-old to ask of like, how do the Jedi not know? I mean, it's that classic meme of, like, the Spongebob. The one Spongebob, like, ripped with biceps. And the other one where he's a flat little sponge. And it's like, Jedi, when they're fighting epic battles. Like, every Jedi is the power of 10,000 soldiers. And Jedi, when, like, one clone soldier has a blaster. I agree. That was always kind of lame, but... It had to be something, basically. And no matter what it was, how do you kill all the Jedi at once? Unless you, like, gather them all together and then blow up the council. Like, eh, that's kind of lame, too. And it had to be something where the answer was, I guess they weren't strong enough to beat whatever it is that kills them. Right. And Yoda senses it and he's okay. Obi-Wan is shot down, but even though he falls from, like, God knows how high, he's okay. He used the Force. Right. Which you could then say that maybe Mace Windu is also alive. Uh, According to Samuel Jackson, he said, it's cool I'm dying, but I don't want to go out like a sucker. He basically didn't want to go out like basically the other Jedi do next to Palpatine. Palpatine kills two Jedi with like two like lightsaber stabs. At the very least, you're like, okay, it's Palpatine. He can kill them with with a quick stab. That's fine. But I still completely agree with your daughter. Everyone else, like, come on. Kit Fisto puts up a fight, but that was sad because Kit Fisto was Eli's favorite Jedi when Eli was super into Star Wars when he was younger. Um, but Samuel L. Jackson has recently said that as far as I'm concerned, Mace Windu is alive somewhere with one arm and his purple lightsaber and give me a call, Disney. I'll come back for the show. I will do it. So 
if anyone at Disney wants to do that, uh, Samuel L. Jackson would be more than happy to tell that story. Like you were saying about Obi-Wan Kenobi, is that a story that needs to be told? Maybe not. But when you watch Samuel L. Jackson with one arm, like, you know, looking for revenge or doing whatever, I would. No, but I could watch a Mace Windu prequel series. And it doesn't have to be an epic five-season thing. It could even be four episodes. That's a movie, folks. Like, that that's enough. They could do that. I would watch that. But let's talk about the final battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Actually, I should say between Vader and Obi-Wan. Because even though it's played by Hayden Christensen and he's not in the suit yet, and even though he still has his blue lightsaber, he is now Darth Vader. He is fully evil. And this was the climactic final battle. I mentioned it before. This was going to be the last Star Wars movie ever so they were going out with a bang and this is a very long very well choreographed fight scene that Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen were apparently rehearsing for like months before they started shooting and it's a cool scene I vaguely remembered that the whole thing about Anakin falling into lava was based on something from the Return of the Jedi novelization. That's where that idea came from. It wasn't something that like George Lucas had in his mind from 77. It was just, they add stuff in the novel. That was just one detail that like Obi-Wan fought Anakin over lava and that's how he became disfigured. And George Lucas took that for this movie. That's funny that you say that because we've made references to this over the last two weeks, but for about 15 years, we knew nothing about Star Wars. There were vague little hints, but where were you finding these hints from? In the manual for the X-Wing computer game? Yeah, maybe the novelization. We've never talked about this. A splinter of the mind's eye. No one knew that there was going to be a sequel movie, so George Lucas commissioned a novel sequel to Star Wars that is called Splinter of the Mind's Eye. That's a totally different story than Empire Strikes Back. And it's funny you say it's from the novelization of Return of the Jedi, but I don't know where it came from, but the one thing I always knew was that the Obi-Wan versus Vader battle that had happened before episode four was over lava. I don't know why I knew that. And you're telling me that now. That's probably where it came from. Yeah. But that was the one thing that I thought was going to happen. And I'd been wrong about everything for the first two episodes. (laughs) So I didn't think it was going to happen, but then it did. Yeah. I think it was from the novelization and then it just bled out from there to people who hadn't read that. But that just became like, oh, well, don't you know, kind of a thing amongst uh, the nerds. And, you know, it is a great battle scene. There's that meme of the two of them just kind of like spinning their lightsabers in front of each other. uh, A gif that's used to mock it. But I think that overall the, the battle is really good. But it comes down to Obi-Wan defeating Anakin because Obi-Wan has the high ground. And I mentioned it in the last two weeks that in the other prequel movies, other people that Obi-Wan is fighting have the high ground and Obi-Wan still wins. So having the high ground doesn't automatically make you win. And it is just a weird thing where like, Obi-Wan's like, well, the battle's over because I'm slightly above you. It's not even like he's that much higher than Anakin. Why is that the deciding factor? 
I think what it is is the difference here is that Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul or Obi-Wan versus Jango Fett, Obi-Wan does not know these opponents. He knows everything about Anakin. He's taught Anakin everything he knows, and he knows exactly what Anakin's going to do here. I think that's what he's telling you. He goes, don't do it, Anakin. You're going to do the little flip, and then I'm going to slice your legs off. That's what's going to happen. Don't do it. Like, you know, like you probably say to your kids, all right, guys, do you need to go to the bathroom? You say exactly what's going to happen. They say no, and then they do it. And you right. were right. Yeah. I think that's what it was. High ground is not universal, but I think in this case, he's like, you're four feet below me in lava. I'm five feet above you above lava. You're only going to do one thing, and you're going to fail, and you're Dumbass is going to do it anyway, and his dumbass does it anyway. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a that's a good explanation and something I can relate to as a father. Uh, the reveal of seeing the suit come on was pretty cool, like watching it in the movie theater. And honestly, like after that, like when there's, you know, this little like epilogue where you see all the characters go their own way and senator organa takes baby leia and little luke ends up on tatooine and uncle owen is holding him looking at the twin sons i'm not gonna lie i got really choked up watching that in the theater in 2005 that really got to me because i was like this is it i am never going to see another star wars movie ever again i thought the same thing damn like i was sad like i was genuinely sad and honestly when they announced that they were making a clone wars movie and it was like you know an animated thing that was going to be in theaters i was really excited for that just because it was a new star wars movie and then when disney bought lucasfilm and they announced in episode seven and my son was two or three at the time and i was like i get to see a new star wars movie with my kid like that was the greatest thing ever i was so excited for that but yeah i mean like i was very sad when episode three ended i had the exact same thought that i would never see another star wars film again and i was like okay we we i never thought we were going to we got these three movies but this is it that's it it's 2005 i mean this series is now like 30 years old (laughs) it's gotta end sometime right Right. Like Indiana Jones ended 20 years ago. We're not getting another one of those. (laughs) And then we realized like more so over the last 10 years, nothing ever dies. Right, 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 right. No, you can't let anything end. But because we've gotten to the end of the prequel trilogy, I will ask you, James, do you think that Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, stands the test of time? You know... You and I have been ahead of our time. We have been champions and uh, supporters of the prequel trilogy when, let's just say, it's like being a Mets fan. (laughs) You know, it's not the in vogue thing to be. When you're in New York, well, maybe not in the last 10 years or so, but certainly when we were teenagers or so, there's a really easy thing to do. It's be a Yankee fan. I mean, they just keep winning right and the really easy thing to do from 99 to 2005 just 
bash Star Wars. There's easy targets, yippee, and you're beautiful and I love you only because I love you and you're beautiful. You know, there's a lot to bash on them. And if you want to take cheap shots, you can. We were ahead of our time because I think people have caught up to us, Al. I think that time has been very kind to the prequels. I, I don't think any of the criticisms that uh, we've levied against the prequels over the last two weeks, I don't think people are saying they're no longer criticisms, but I think people are really appreciating them. I think that the sequel trilogy really gives people appreciation of it. I also think that we're also forgetting that the children that grew up with Star Wars, they're now growing up. And to them, it wasn't Ewoks that they grew up with. It was Jar Jar. And, you know, we've mentioned this before, but we loved Ewoks as kids. Yeah. But the 25-year-olds that saw Return of the Jedi, they hated Ewoks. And they think that Endor ruined the Star Wars trilogy. And for 15 years, they were like, yeah, they were two good movies. And then all blew it in episode six but for us we were like what are you talking about episode six is the best one just the hype for this film and the what is going to be made of my dreams and expectations that i've had for 15 years not 15 years 20 years there is no way to fulfill those expectations the bad lines of dialogue can really just kind of knock you out of the film for a 10 seconds or so and when they're bad they're bad but i think for all of us we kind of had to stick up our ass while watching it what is it gonna be is it gonna be good please be good please be the greatest film ever like the first trilogy was and now it's like dude just watch it it's not a 10 out of 10 but you know what? A 7 out of 10 can be real fun. But that means it's really missing those three points. And there's a reason we deducted those three points. Right. That's how I watch it now. Even parts of the films are sixes, but it's still a lot of fun. And this trilogy has really lived up. I've enjoyed them. I'm surprised how well I enjoyed them because I have not seen these prequels in their entirety. Certainly not one after the other. Ever. I mean, maybe I watched both of them before episode three. I don't think I did. I didn't rewatch them over and over like I did the original trilogy. But wow, they've really held up. Surprisingly, you know which one I might have enjoyed the most? Episode two. Uh, I was really entertained by that. Episode three was a little more of a downer than I remembered. And episode one was actually a lot more enjoyable than I thought. So I was really taken for a loop. I thought by far episode three would be the best one because that's kind of the reputation it's gotten. But I just think it's a fun trilogy with flaws. But it's a flawed trilogy that stands the test of time. What do you think, Al? Does episode three, The Revenge of the Sith, colons and dashes in the right place, (laughs) does it stand the test of time? Yes, it does. And I think that the reason that it does is because it is a well-executed, tragic story. And not just this movie, but the prequels in their entirety. Episodes one, two, and three. They tell you the fall of Anakin Skywalker. And then in episodes four, five, and six, then you get the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. And it's a closed loop and it works. And like you said, these movies aren't perfect. Episode three isn't perfect. There are problems with it. The inner dealings of the Jedi taking over the Senate and how the Senate works with the Jedi and all this stuff. Like it just gets bogged down and it's clunky. 
And yeah, there's some annoying stuff, but the movie is thrilling. It's exciting. The action scenes are amazing. It ends with just an unbelievably great lightsaber duel. The battle between Yoda and the Emperor is so much fun to watch. I mean, that scene is just great. When it shouldn't work, and also we haven't mentioned it, but this is film is 17 years old. The special effects are really good. They've, for the most part, really held up very well. That Yoda versus Dooku and Yoda versus Emperor scene could have gone horribly wrong graphically. And they didn't. It's really well. I believe that little green uh, that Yoda could jump around to do those things he did. Did I tell you my Frank Oz story when we were recording the episodes about the original trilogy? Uh, I, I don't know. Okay, well, I was working on a VH1 show called When Star Wars Ruled the World, which I was very qualified to be working on as a huge, massive Star Wars fan. So for the show, they interviewed Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, and those happened in LA, and I didn't get to meet them, and I was very sad about that. Mark Hamill, I did get to meet because they interviewed him in New York, and he autographed my lightsaber, which is downstairs, which is one of my most prized possessions. I was also in the room when we interviewed Frank Oz, and I was not conducting the interview. I was just literally sitting on the floor, just happy to be there. And at one point, Frank Oz was talking about episode two. This was in between episodes two and three when we were doing these interviews. And he was like, in episode two, when Yoda's fighting, um, um, he's fighting, um, oh, what's his name? And everyone in the room who knew me turned to look at me because they knew that I would know. And I was like, Count Dooku. And then Frank Oz was like, yes, Count Dooku. So anyway, when Yoda's fighting Count Dooku, blah, 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 blah. And I was just really, really, really excited that I told Yoda who he fought because he forgot. And I was just like really excited by that. that that's a great story. Yeah. And then he also mentioned somewhere in the interview that people come up to him all the time and do Yoda impressions and Miss Piggy impressions. And he always is very polite and he smiles and says, that's really good, even when they're terrible. And then I kind of wanted to, after the interview, do my Yoda and or Miss Piggy impressions just because I knew he would say it was great. Like, why not? Um, But I didn't because that would have been weird. Um, But anyway, yes, this movie does stand the test of time. And also, especially in light of the sequel trilogy, which were three movies that had no cohesive story, that didn't have a beginning, a middle, and an end, that didn't serve the greater story of Star Wars that came before, that were just there as a cash grab. You know what? Whatever you think about these prequels, George Lucas had a story he wanted to tell, and he told it. He didn't have to. It wasn't like the the Matrix 4 situation when Warner Brothers forced the Wachowskis or one of them to to come back to do it. Fox didn't force George Lucas to make Star Wars episodes 1, 2, and 3. They didn't say, we're making these prequels with or without you, George. He wanted to do it. Oh, Fox would have loved to have said that, but Fox didn't have the right to say that. Right. And that in and of itself doesn't stand the test of time because I don't think studios make those kinds of deals anymore like they did with George Lucas in the 70s that allowed him to have these rights. Eh, they'll make a similarly stupid deal. Like, you can have the rights to this uh, video game, but what about the uh, virtual reality rights of this? You know, like, oh, you know, you might not think of that. No, the way that they write these deals now, 
they say like and all future mediums forever in all perpetuity <laughs> like th- wow i mean i i have read some of these like they're pretty ironclad that's pretty funny yeah and when the overlords from the planet nebula come and take over the earth we will still be collecting those royalties they, they don't name the planet because that's a bad idea right 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 exactly yeah. no. But yes, I think that this movie does stand the test of time. I really enjoyed rewatching the prequels. I really enjoyed talking about them with you, James. This was something that was on our list for a really long time. I'm not at all surprised that both of us said yes to all six of these Star Wars movies. We're nerds. We love Star Wars. And I can't wait to watch Obi-Wan Kenobi. Do you think in the end, Anakin is the chosen one? Was this prophecy fulfilled? What, what do you think of it, Al? Courtney mentioned that the other night. We were we were talking about it. I think it's very, very clear. Yes, Anakin is the chosen one. He brings balance to the Force. You mean at the end of episode six? Yes, he kills the Emperor. No one else can kill the Emperor. Yoda can't kill the Emperor. Luke can't kill the Emperor. The only person who can kill the Emperor is Vader is Anakin. Uh, and it might be that the only person that can kill a Sith Lord is a Sith Lord's apprentice. Maybe. I mean, that's how uh, Palpatine kills Darth Plagueis, his master. I think it's a little bit of like a thing where you think, oh, it's not that Anakin's a chosen one. It's his kid. The prophecy was off by a generation. But when you really think about it, no, it's him. But first, he's going to ruin everything and destroy all the good guys and be the most horrible evil villain And then 20 years later, he'll, like, come around and bring balance to the Force. They left out those very important details, but it's a prophecy, and that's sort of how prophecies work. In my opinion, yes, Anakin is the chosen one. And as they learn from the sequel trilogy, Luke definitely isn't the prophecy's one because nothing he did made uh, any impact. Well, the entire sequel trilogy completely destroys the narrative that was established in episodes one through six, where it's this closed loop that has a beginning, middle, and an end. It just adds on a whole other thing that is not really relevant. It doesn't really tie to it and is weird. You know, you just made me realize that could have been the epic twist in the sequel trilogy, that they have hints about it in 7 and 8, but then it turns out the prophecy was about someone else. And maybe Anakin led to this kid, Ray or whoever it is, but missed opportunities. Definitely missed opportunity there. And, you know... The original trilogy spawned not only the prequel trilogy, but the original Star Wars trilogy spawned a lot of Star Wars ripoffs in the early 80s. This is everything from sword films that came back, like we've already reviewed uh, Highlander, and other kind of Star Wars like ripoffs uh, on the space front, like uh, The Last Starfighter. Mm-hmm. But there's another film I have been meaning to review with you for a while. It's called Crawl. Have you ever heard of this film, Al? Heard of it? Yes. Seen it? No. I saw it years ago, and we're going to see it for next week's episode of the podcast. All right. Well, tune in for that episode. That sounds like it'll be fun. As always, you know where we are. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Test of Time Pod. Write to us, talk to us, retweet, like those posts, uh, stay connected with us, email us at testoftimepodcast at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week, everybody. We are done with the prequel trilogy. Meet all the prequel episodes gonna die. What? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>